gentlemen welcome back to stories out of time and space that's right julian and i have been taken out of stasis and we're ready to jump right back into the fray last episode if you haven't already listened we discussed reviewed and mulled over all aspects of red dwarf season one now we're going to be jumping right back in and we're going to be discussing series two so buckle in guys it's going to be a doozy Even into season two, if we um, mm-hmm. if we just slightly just do slightly jump forward into the first episode of, of season series two, uh, Crichton, um, they they come across a come across a crash a crashed spaceship, the Nova Five, um, and they find out that uh, Crichton, uh, a, a mechanoid, um, is has been looking after these sort of these injured these four injured women or these three or four injured women. Uh, and they they need help, so you sort of like get the the, the crew from the Red Dwarf going in to rescue them, uh, including Captain Rimmer, space adventurer. I, I love. Um, but when they get there, like they, they realize they've got twenty four hours to get to the ship, and the cat's like, "Well, I better get ready." And then and then when he turns up in this amazingly sort of like r- ridiculous space suit uh, with like you know big shoulder pads and lapels and the whole works. And he actually says to him, he says, he says, we better not go past a shiny, like a, a reflective surface or I'm, I'm there for the day. Like, you know, <laughs> um, yes, he's, bec- he's become like slightly more sort of like self-aware, but still like, I, you know, he's, st- he's still a complete uh, narcissist and uh, dedicated to being the best looking guy in the room. Okay. So yeah, series two sort of kicks off with Crichton. Uh, and so we, we've got, uh, the the boys from the dwarf come across a crashed ship on a meteorite called the Nova Five, um, and on the Nova Five, you you, you have reports of uh, three or four um, female crew members uh, being looked after by a mechanoid uh, called Crichton, uh, a mechanoid four thousand series, um, and so they decide to go in and rescue them, um, and. Uh, you know, Rimmer declares himself as as Captain AJ Rimmer, space adventurer, um, and so they go there. They are off to save these lovely ladies and help their mechanoid. Um, and uh, yeah, that's when we first get introduced to at least a version of Crichton. And uh, so this is a, this is an interesting one to sort of to kick off season two with. I think this, it feels like they're testing the waters to see can they sort of. Uh, add to the cast or add sort of further elements to it. I think that was the point of introducing Crichton because, as you said before, before this they they didn't want any any real sort of like mechanoid characters or aliens or anything like that. Um, 
but I felt that obviously the three characters they needed they felt they needed something else, and uh, so they thought they'd test the water with Crichton. With Crichton. Well, well, thought- this is an amazing episode. Um, I, you know, I'm a huge fan of Crichton, of course, from yeah. from later seasons. But you know, the thing that it occurs to me about this episode is that it is just funny. And it just works. Like, I mean, for me, season one, the humor doesn't work that much. Um, there are moments where it really works. I mean, I love Rimmer saying, you know, I'm not a man who kisses and tells. All you need to know about Yvonne Magruder is I gave her one. You know? <laughs> I mean, there are good, good laughs, you know, here and there. But I think I laughed uh, twice as much just in this one episode as in all of season one. Um, it just works, you know. The, you know, when you get there, you find out that uh, these women who the ship is, you know, very eager to meet, uh, they're all immediately like cock blocking each other, you know, obviously obsessed with getting to these women um, are all dead and Crichton's insane. And, uh, you know, you see him putting makeup on a skeleton, you know, he thinks they're still alive. And, uh, you know, um you know, Lister, uh, Lister says, you know, I think the blonde one's giving you the eye. And, you know, then he says, it would now be, be a good time to, uh, you know, tell you that Rimmer is brave and has had lots of girlfriends. You know, uh, it's, it's just hilarious. And the chemistry just works so well in this episode. Yeah, I agree. I think that, that the the scene where they are introduced to, uh, to the, say, the the survivors of the Nova Five um, is brilliant, and you know, like you say, because they've all they've all done themselves up. So, like, uh, you know, say the cat's wearing that that elaborate, really crazy sort of like you know spacesuit with big shoulder pads and lapels and everything on it, and uh, Rimmer's wearing his full dress sort of uniform, and then List is wearing as as Rimmer describes it, his least smeggy outfit um, <laughs> with those offensive moon boots. Um, and it, it, it is, it's hilarious because even Crichton's reaction when they actually point out they're all dead and he's like, all of them? What, what about this one? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's another brilliant line. You know, he's pointing um, to a skeleton, of course. Yeah. <laughs> <coughs> and he's just desperate to sort of like, you know, um, uh, to, to, to continue like doing what he's doing. Um, and you're right, sort of, as, a, as an opening salvo for the second series, like, it's clear that they've sort of, uh, the crew... You know the, the the guys know what they're doing. The back and character, and it's so well set up, and the writing's on real form. Um, and I kind of like this version of Crichton. Um, you know, he's a, he's a sort of a bit, a bit softer, and like you say, clearly crazy. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, um, but he's wearing like you know the, the outfit, the, the makeup's low budget, and he's wearing sort of like a PVC sort of like uh, uh, tuxedo. Um, but as a character, he's hilarious because I think sort of again they sort of it comes into this idea of servitude, um, and later on you see him having to do things and the scutters come up again because you see him having to try and clean the scutters and sort of like they're trying to fight him off and that it's uh, <laughs> yeah this this is a really strong episode to start a series with. Yeah, absolutely, and and I would say not only is it funny, but it has the first. I mean, to me, the first moment that is just absolutely moving not in the sense of like oh this is this is smart i'm thinking about this this is clever 
but that just you realize, oh, this is a serious dramatic moment. And it's, you know, a close up on uh, David Ross, who plays Crichton in this mm-hmm. this first installment, as he's explaining, he's talking about his dreams. Of course, you can't but think of do Android's dream of electric sheep. Um, mm. But here it's just pre- presented as, a, a, of course, Android's dream. And, you know, he says he has a dream of a garden, even though I've never seen a garden. And he says it's just him and all the things he's made live. And obviously coming out of having been left to take care of the dead for so Mm -hmm. long, uh, having to, you know, sort of need to believe that they're alive, to have a sense of purpose. It's a very moving scene and it's shot as a moving scene, you know, with a sort of close up uh, of an emotional face as he utters these words. And I think it's very brave. And it's very, it's like, oh, wow. Not only is Red Dwarf funnier than it's ever been, all the characters are like firing on all cylinders. Any chemistry that hadn't been perfected in that first series is just perfected at this point. Um, Mm. So, but not only is it funny, but it's like, okay, here's the, we can do moving too. We can do serious. I know you've you've seen us do serious sci-fi, but no, we can do serious, period. Yeah, and because uh, I think he gets that. See, David Ross actually gets a couple of moments in this episode, and you know, to do that. Because I think, like you said, that's I do like the episode when he does talk about that. Because he also talked about other things. It's when like you know, uh, Lister's talking to him, and he has to explain he has his uh, the sitcom uh, Androids, you know, as well. So he's got his own little foibles and the things he enjoys. Um, but also the moment when they sort of they do explain that all the girls are dead, and just his reaction is sort of like, well. Well, what 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 do I do now? You know, like that, that literal moment of him mm-hmm. realizing that they they were his purpose for being. That was his purpose. For being. And like you say, it's, the way it's shot, he just sort of says, "Oh, you know, well, what, what do I do now?" And there's no joke. There's no quip. You just see the sort of you know the three uh, you know Rimmer, Lister, and the cat, and all of them are speechless. They're all they all look at each other, a bit like, oh, I don't know what to tell you. You know, and it's it's sort of like it could have been undercut with humor, and and it, but it, but it isn't like you say they hold the line, they hold that moment for the impact of saying like, and and, and so I think that's that's like you say quite brave to open a season again with this sort of notion of not just sci-fi, but I say but dramatic character moments. Yeah, and I, I'm sure you know. I mean, the other thing I want to to mention is that you know we get these intros from Holly the ship's computer Mm. that sort of summarize the situation and say uh, sort of, and and then they end with a a sort of witticism or a sort of joke uh, that introduces the episode. That's just different each time. And then that makes the sort of recap, the setup, the titles Mm. a a little more interesting. And, And to start the second season, Holly says, you know, we are alone in a godless, uninhabited, hostile, and meaningless <laughs> universe. Still, you got to laugh, haven't you? <laughs> I thought, boy, that, you know, that's that spirit of, of Red Dwarf. It overlaps with the spirit of Hitchhikers. Um, but that was, in a, to a large degree, the essence of what I found amazing about, about Red Dwarf. Mm. Yeah, it is. Like you say, they, 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 I think one of the good things about it is because it was on BBC Two and it was able to go a little bit under the radar. Um, 
from those sort of like you know execs and stuff that thought like oh it's just a little show we've got on TV it'll fill some airtime, and so they could get stuff in. I think you can do this with comedy. They could get stuff in that when people weren't really paying attention. Because um, if you did try and do this on a sort of a more sort of mainstream sitcom, I think like yeah, it would be shot down in a second. <laughs> um, uh, because again, like you said, the whole the whole opening episode it starts to discuss about this idea of purpose and servitude, doesn't it? Like, you know, Lister then starts, spends the rest of the episode trying to sort of convince Crichton to break his programming. It's like, be, be your own man. Um, watch films like Rebel Without a Cause and, and you know, those sorts of things. Like you've got to sort of start to, to be your own person. You haven't got to, to serve someone. Um, and Crichton's, you know, mantra of, like, I serve, therefore I am. Um mm-hmm. It's it's it, you know it's again it's 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 tapping into those sort of like bigger themes, but doing it in a comedy way. Yeah, and I think you know it's the big reveal is sort of that that Crichton is painting a an adoring <laughs> painting of Rimmer, as, you know, in his in his full dress suit, looking very Napoleonic, and then you pull back and he's, you know, he's sitting on the bog, so to speak, yeah. uh, you know, uh, which, which I think perfectly encapsulates Rimmer's character, that combination of pretentiousness, uh, very serious look, but the mm. reality around him is grimy and disgusting and there's nothing yeah. to be pretentious about. Uh, yeah. I, I, it's a, I say it's a, it's a great, it's, it's funny. It's a, it's a great ending. Cause you have been sort of, it's, it's a weird one because they bring him in, they bring Crichton in for that first, episode and mm-hmm. you, you you know you are brought in to sort of to, to like him and to understand you know to, to sort of sympathize with him and enjoy you enjoy him lightly to enjoy him as a character mm-hmm. and it, it ends with him rebelling and um he says because I, I like that so when when rimmer says to him what are you doing he says um i think i'm rebelling <laughs> yeah <laughs> Uh, yeah, and, and Rimmer's like, well, rebelling against what? He's like, what do you got? <laughs> <laughs> right, very James uh, Dean. Right, he's yeah, smart. yeah, uh, and, and I like it. And it's sort of, um, you know, it's, it's clearly going to be Rimmer that he has to rebel against because of that. He is supposed to be the authority figure. So, um, and I like it because it does it does play into that sort of the Marlon Bando James Dean thing when he sort of goes off on the the, the space bike with the sort of the cap and the leather jacket and everything. Um. And you are like, oh, this is this could be a really interesting character, and then they don't bring him back for the rest of the series, and it's just sort of, uh, oh, and he's not even referenced again in the rest of the series. Mm-hmm. It, it feels it's a, it's an odd choice, um, um yes. that I can imagine at the time would be quite confusing. Sort of like, you know, well, in, in in the wider thing, it's even more confusing. But well, and it's and a good we'll talk. We'll talk about the you know the problems between series two and three when we get there, mm. but. But I mean, this is one of the, I mean, one of the problems that I have with Dwarf and, and, and also one of the things that I find most fascinating is its interest in and simultaneous rejection of continuity. And, yeah. you know, in ways that, you know, there's a lot of callbacks, even in this season, right? I mean, there's callbacks to, um, you know, who's that, that Dutch guy like Peterson, right? Who, mm. um, you know, uh, who at some point Holly made uh, Rimmer's arm turn hairy and tattooed. <laughs> and Rimmer said, you know, that's Peterson's arm. And, so, you know, you get to see Peterson in a flashback. I mean, there's just so many callbacks, but at the same time, you're starting to see some of the lack of interest in continuity that, 
comes to ultimately to make to define dwarf in different ways and you know at the end of the episode uh you know uh Crichton gets that bike but he's still mm-hmm. in the corridors right i mean he's still on yes. the ship and it, it's just one of those episodes like you know the and of course in in episodic tv there were those episodes right where like alexander comes to live with wharf and you know the episode ends with a heartwarming thing and they just cut the last five minutes in which he he leaves so you start the yeah. next episode and you say where the hell is this character um, yeah. but it, it is interesting to me that in a show that will ultimately be defined in some ways by continuity issues that this is sort of the first instance of that yeah totally but, but but the second the series to it i mean this series is going to leave some massive this this series is where it starts to sort of um you know both you and i love it and we are going to pick it to pieces but this is where some of the sort of the uh rule breaking starts to come into play um mm-hmm. you know uh, from episode to episode um that it's sort of like you say the continuity starts to fall by the wayside a little bit and you start to question certain things and uh, that they sort of they'll either address or not address in at some point in the future, um, but yeah, Crichton's an interesting one because like, even if you were to do this, if you had to film them in this order, like surely you'd have this as a later episode, <laughs> even if it was like four right. or five, you could at least write it off for a couple of episodes. But to have it right up front, it's a it's a great episode. But yeah, to have him not come back, I was I remember watching this back as a kid. Wow, because I, I I came in. Uh, well, I actually came in a bit later. I came in on season three was when I first started watching it on TV, and I remember going back because a friend of mine had it, or someone, a friend of mine's brother actually had it on, on VHS, and being first being really confused because Crichton looks incredibly different, and then sort of going, oh, okay, well, I wonder what they do with the rest of him, and then him not being there and being like, I, I don't get this. Where, what? <laughs> you know, because you don't know the behind the scenes stuff and all this stuff about how the later Crichton comes in, which we'll get to. But just being really confused of like, oh, I'm not, I'm not, I don't understand why this seems so desperately different. Um, but yeah, a great character um, that eventually becomes a real key part of the show. Yeah. I mean, the other thing that's interesting is the continuity. I mean, I really feel like seasons one and two are sort of of a piece and then mm. seasons three and four are of a piece. But yeah. This is very similar to season one, but then there are these changes, right? Like the titles are in red, you know, the mm-hmm. titles of the episode appear in these big red letters. Um, and then in Crichton, you have the the blue uh, midget, the, the shuttle mm-hmm. that they use, which was invented for the season so they could go off ship and, and do this kind of story. Exactly. But, you know, again, not only is the Android new, but the idea that you can take a shuttle anywhere is totally new yeah. to the show. Yeah. And then in the next episode, you have the the stellar observation room that they use multiple times to to good effect. Um, you know, and then you know by the time you're in episode four, there's a there's a lift, so they're actually playing with the size of the ship that, as you said, is you know, you know, several miles wide, and and you yeah. don't get that impression at all in season one. So. It's clearly of a piece with season one, but they're playing with new things. They're kind of expanding on things, and it does feel just a little different. 
No, I agree that they are sort of trying. To, it's a bit of world building, isn't it? Really, because they try to expand things. I mean, the, the second episode, sort of better than life. Um, they receive a mail pod. They're three million years into deep space, yet they receive a mail pod. It's <laughs> yeah. sort of like I'm, I'm, I'm willing to accept that and go with it. Um, and you know, they get the mail and they sort of have their new version. They, they, they highlight there's a new version of Casablanca, um, and some other bits, and then and. Um, <laughs> But a letter. They also the the fact that, like, say, this shows it's such an eighty show because it's a it, firstly it's a mail pod and they have physical mail. Yeah, I thought um, that too. With, like, yeah, you know, yeah. <laughs> you know, that seems so impossibly antiquated. Yeah, um, and let's say they get a letter from the tax man and all this other stuff, and I was like, this is incredible. Like, it's it's like it's antiquated. It's so funny to see that, like, when Lister is dividing up the mail, it's like it's mine, it's mine. This is yours. This is mine. Um, yeah, and and I. There's a great moment in that, though, again, sort of like that worry about um, the world. Like they're three million years into deep space, and I would say Lister's rumor still trying to adhere to the rules and regulations set out by Space Corps directives and, and the Jupiter Mining Corps. Um, so when they get a letter from the tax man, and he says, <laughs> oh, you, owe, you, you owe this much tax, and he's like, oh my God, how did that happen? He's like, and Lister's like, what's it matter? Like, what right. does that matter? Like, it's not like they're going to come and get you. Um, and he's like, oh, you never, you don't know with these people. Um, but it is this holding on to the world that they were from, isn't it? It's that, that I find is really interesting. Yeah, and I as well. Um, you know, this this episode also has one of those early callbacks when they there was a reference to, um, I think, and it's the second episode where they're having this discussion about. Uh, being a hologram and Rimmer says, you know, you livies are always making fun of us deadies, you know, and you have this great sort of concept that there's sort of like, if there is racism in this world, it's racism against holograms and the dead. Um, And they say, you know, and he says, well, can you think of one hologram that's made good? And Lister says, oh yeah, well, they have that, that one that hosts uh, on channel 27 and Rimmer says, you know, Channel 27, you know, that hardly yeah. counts. They're always doing these. And then you actually see in Better Than Life uh, yeah. news footage from Channel uh, 27. <laughs> you know, this delightful yeah. sort of callback. Yeah. Oh, well, I, I wondered about that because it's it's funny because uh, Lister, when he says that, because um, is that in the first series? He, called, he refers to. Yeah. Uh, uh, yeah. It, it, it's um, in the second episode. Yeah. Because Rimmer refers to it. says, oh, funky, jazzy Channel 27 news. <laughs> and, that, and, then, and, then, and then when you get the footage, it's called Funky Jazzy Channel 27 News. <laughs> yeah. And I'm just like, yeah, that is a brilliant, that is a brilliant call. But like you say, but th- th- this is, like you say, pre-streaming. This would have been when VHS were quite expensive. So it's a callback for, for the creators probably more than anybody else. Um, mm-hmm. But it plays as a lovely little Easter egg, you know, great little Easter egg when you're watching it now. Um, yeah, and and I think all of Dwarf has that. There's there's a kind of at the same time that there is this kind of eschewing of of continuity, and I mean we'll get mm-hmm. into some pretty egregious examples as we go on. Yeah. Um, but there is this kind of love of minutia of continuity yeah. at the same time, which is so bizarre. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, because I mean in this one as well, they sort of like you say, it's sort of um, yeah, you you said uh, before about. Um, uh, Rimmer not being one to kiss and tell, and, and you know, I mean, his mm-hmm. his one love love um, has been uh, Yvonne Magruder, 
Uh, and you get to meet Yvonne McGruder in this because you know when they go yeah. to Better Than Life, like you get to see that and all this other stuff. And it's it does have some great little moments. Um, you say where each of the characters get their little thing. The interesting thing I'd say about this is this this Better Than Life. It can give you anything. It can give you pretty much anything, and. Um, you know, the cat gets a, a mermaid girlfriend that's the wrong way around. Well, not the, maybe not the wrong way around, but that's a, that's a great joke in itself. That I can't yeah. believe they got away with an, in a pre-Watershed um, sitcom, but fine. Um, but also, like, Christine Kachansky never appears. Yeah, that's very true. Yeah. Yeah, good um, point. And, and I always wondered about that, that like Dave Liss has been given the opportunity. So Liss has got this opportunity to do anything he wants and have everything he wants. And he goes to the first, he just goes to a restaurant and drinks beer. So he, he has a couple of pints and eats some food. And then they go to play Don't forget golf. The, and do some... Yeah, the caviar vindaloo. Yeah, that's it. That's a nice joke. Uh, but at no point does he meet, you know, does he meet, he does he he, he introduces himself to a partner. Like the cat does. The cat actually introduces him to several. He has his mermaid girlfriend. He has Marilyn Monroe and um, you know, uh, Rimmer gets to meet gets to meet Napoleon uh, on the beach, um, <laughs> but Lister never sort of you know given the opportunity to have the commitment that he could have with you know that he's always dreamed of with Kachansky, he never goes for it, um, and it makes me wonder sort of like is it is that actually thing again where actually if he was to ma- if he was to step up to the plate and actually have that to try and do that commitment he doesn't actually want it it's all about the fantasy. Um, yeah, that's very interesting. Um, you know, I, I that didn't occur to me. It occurs to me that he does seem sort of the most aware that he's in a simulation, right? Mm. Like, he's not bothered by it, whereas, you know, like, Rimmer seems to excel in it, right? I mean, he makes this car. It takes a little while to figure it out. But once he does, he's like, okay, this is great. I'm going with this. Of course, it yeah. all goes sideways. Um you know, I mean, I, I could rationalize that Lister would know it wasn't real. So what he wants to do is just, you know, eat food and, and drink. But then again, I mean, we're told that the whole way this VR game works is that it sort of identifies your greatest desire and makes it, mm. you know, proverbial flesh around you. And that's why it can do that twist with Rimmer uh, of having him, you know, ultimately desire for things to go poorly for him. So obviously that would seem to indicate, I mean, if you take that seriously in continuity, that Lister does not, in fact, want Kachansky. Yeah, and it's, it's always been interesting to me in this episode that, that was ne- she never appeared, because she does appear in this series. Um, so it's not like the, you know, the actress wasn't available, but yeah. So, I, I, But I do like the fact that th- th- this is more of a sort of a Rimmer episode, isn't it? So I think the next two, really, this and the second and, and episode three become quite sort of Rimmer heavy. Because it is about the fact that he um, can't seem to catch a break, or even even when given the opportunity to have everything in the world, can't seem to to get it right. Um, and uh, there's a great moment when um, it's all gone pear shaped, and he's sort of down on his luck, <laughs> and he's got a bottle in a, in a in a thing. He's like, "How can it get worse?" And the next moment is they're all sort of buried up to their neck in the beach with with jam on their faces, about to be eaten by killer ants. And he's just like, why? And he's like, well, why not? Why wouldn't? Why wouldn't I do this to myself? Um, yeah, it's 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 like say Chris Barry sort of is really good in this, I think. Um, well, it reminds you know, me of sort of people who are are sort of hard luck people. Um, mm. I, I had a I, I had a Greek friend who used to say, you know, 
these call these goddamnies because they were people who just said goddamn all the time, you know, and complained yeah. about everything. Uh, but there are these people who just sort of like, I've got a friend who, you know, she cannot drive anywhere without being pulled over by the cops. She's a white girl. Like this shouldn't happen. She's in a van, you know, like this shouldn't happen, but she just gets pulled over all the time. And, uh, you know, not that it should happen for other people. I'm not saying that, but I mean, she's, she drives very safely. She drives, you know, under the speed limit and I drive Mm. over, but she, you know, not by a lot, but I do. Um, but she gets pulled over and there are just people who just like, if, if something bad is going to happen, it's going to happen to them. And of course, yeah. Rimmer hates himself. And this is all an expression of that. But it, it all, you know, that whole idea of sort of, well, why wouldn't we be buried in the sand being eaten by cats? Yeah. You know, <laughs> it's such an expression of somebody who just expects things to go horribly. And that's it, I think. And, uh, yeah, because I do. Because even when they do come out of it, like, um, or they think they're out of it. Like, oh, I like the final twist when they're coming out and they are ripping on Rimmer. Like, yeah, you ruin everything, Rimmer. You just can't be <laughs> fun. And they get back to the they get back to the um uh the, the sleeping quarters and they're sort of still arguing about something. All of a sudden the, the tax man that's been after him from Earth appears out of a cupboard and they're like, Oh, we're still in the game. And he sort of realizes <laughs> even even that sort of this thing is obviously playing on his mind and uh is is gonna materialise and sort of break his thumbs. Um is a great ending to the show. It's sort of like, again that thing of sort of like, you know, yeah, Rimmer just can't catch a break even from himself. Um, is uh, is so funny. Yeah, and that ending is also another one of these sort of weird continuity endings, right? Like, oh, so they're still in the game. Oh, ha 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 ha! That's the end, right? Like, oh, how did they get out? You know, and I know that um, you know, better than life was like the title of the the second novel that sort of takes mm. uh, inspiration from the first two seasons. Well, the funny thing is, in in the book, it, it it's played out that it's um it's a dangerous game, and uh, you know you only go in there for, de- for when you're desperate and that sort of thing, <laughs> <clears throat> and because uh, because because you keep getting everything that's better than life, like you don't want to leave, and eventually you end up dying of starvation or malnutrition, you know, because you're not <laughs> feeding your body, and so the uh-huh. book actually plays out. The book actually plays out that they're trying, at least for the part of the book, that they're trying to save uh, Lister. Because he's he's trapped in the game, um, so they do play it for darker purpose in in the book, um, which is which you know, say they take it, you know, budget no budget restraints, and you can do what you want in a book. Really, um, they take it, they push it to that limit of like, well, you when do you, almost like an Inception level thing of like, when do you know you're at the game, um, and mm-hmm. all that kind of stuff. So it, it, it's interesting that they say uh, Grant and Naylor did take it or did want to explore it a bit more. Um, yeah, I think yeah. I think some of that sounds a little more successful to me than this episode, um, you know, which I think is good. You know, it's, it's definitely above average, but, it, it, you know, it's not as good as Crichton. It's also not as good as the next episode. Thanks for the memory, which is sort of a classic sci fi premise um, where, you know, they get drunk and then they wake up and surprise the jigsaw puzzles complete. We have these, we, you know, we have broken legs, uh, you know, four days are missing from my diary. The computer's memory is erased. You know, it's, it's Thursday instead of Sunday. And this sort of mystery that winds up being, you know, to me, very poignant. Uh, I, I really yeah. just love this episode. 
No, I agree. This is another one where you sort of, like you say, there's several sort of more uh, dramatic and serious moments and you get to learn more about the characters and sort of, and, and how they interact with each other. Um, and again, it's that sort of thing, isn't it? Of sort of like, they could have played this whole thing for, for, for full on slapstick laughs and fast, but no, they, they do go for several moments of, um, like, yeah, real, really touching moments. Now, I'll, again, this is another one where I find that I, I learn more about Rimmer um, and what he wants and, and you know hopes for from life, and he's never likely to get it. And, and again, it's, it's quite tragic, really, this episode. Oh yeah, absolutely. I mean, well, we should say you know because it'll be relevant, especially mm. you know once we hit uh, series three, that I mean it's firmly established in continuity that uh, Rimmer has only had sex with the previously mentioned Magruder, right? Yes. Um, yeah. You know, just pathetic. So, uh, so Lister, feeling sorry, gives him a, a eight months, I think, of of his memories and of being in love with Lisa Yates. And yeah. you know, there's this clever little bit where they they edit the memory so that you know <laughs> she says, "Oh, I love you," you know, Rimmer, you know. Mm. Uh, and then yeah, I love I love the fact she refers to him as Rimmer rather than yeah. Arnold, which <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> Yeah, and then, you know, and then we go into this sort of very sad bit as, you know, once, um, you know, I mean, of course, there's a lot of humor along the way, but once, um, you know, Rimmer finds letters from Lisa to Lister, he gets mm. angry that, you know, you've slept with my woman and, you know, in the same places too, you know, you, she took you to the same hotel, you know, you're you're just a bastard, you know, and then... You know, Lister comes clean, and what's fascinating is, I mean, the, the plot could have ended there, right? But, mm. but Rimmer is crushed, and you know, of course, this just makes perfect logical, emotional sense within the sci-fi context of sort of, yeah. I mean, I'm glad that I have those memories, but now I know they're your memories. So not only yeah. do I know they're not real, but I still love this girl. I still remember this girl. And now I know I never experienced it. It's you she loved. You slept with the girl who I loved, <laughs> you know. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and so the solution is we've got to erase those memories, um, thus, you know, setting up that uh, situation. But that that poignance of sort of, you know, yeah, this is not a gift. Works yeah. for me on a deep level. I mean, it's it's you know again it shows that sort of the the humanity of Lister in wanting to do that. Like he wants to give something to Rimmer. It's, it, it almost oh, I say he thinks it's a nice thing. Um, the other thing is I like the idea that <clears throat> Rimmer's desperation to accept this as a memory, even though yes. it massively contradicts <laughs> everything else. Like he actually says in it, he says for some reason I had my appendix out twice. Uh, you know, and then I dropped out of the academy, and I ended up going to art college, and I did this, and I bummed around. It's, it's completely out of character. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but at no point is he, does he actually say like, "Yeah, that's that clearly isn't me," and physically that's not possible. Like, but he wants to accept, um, you know, the, the, this this good thing in his life. He's so desperate to mm. have this good thing in his life that he's willing to overlook these contradictions. Um, in order to make it real, which again is really sad that he's sort of like that's that's what it boils down to for him. Yeah, I hadn't thought about that. I mean, that's a very good point. I I had kind of thought of it as sort of playing it for laughs because you know uh, Rimmer says you know I 
and have these memories, you know, sort of all my taste in music changed, you know, I moved, you know. Um, and, and then when he finds out, he, you know, he, he makes a point about the appendix and whatnot. And, and I just thought like, oh, okay, this is a sort of silly premise because there would be these problems and, and the script is sort of telling you, well, I'm aware of them. But your interpretation makes more emotional sense within the universe for those characters. And I think it's quite right. Yeah, and I think that also adds to that sort of the poignancy. Like I say, when when they, you know, the 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 thing that they find, the reason they've got a broken leg, or at least Lister and Cat have both got a broken leg, is that one of the things he wants to do is he wants to look erect and erect a, mo- a monument to and bury the the black box somewhere as a mm-hmm. sort of like you know uh, to her. So they have like a gravestone to this whole moment, and it's they could have just jettisoned, jettisoned it out into space or done something different, but but they 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 want to have this sort of like memorial to it and i think even that like knowing that it's not real sort of rimmer still wants to sort of grieve um for this loss and, and you know it sort of it plays out in that way which is quite sad really well and it's sad for lister too because mm. you know as rimmer is remembering this you know rimmer saying you know sort of i gave up on my ambition I, you know, I left her. She loved me so much and all Rimmer has wanted, right? It's like he's had one sexual partner. All he's ever wanted was somebody to love and he wants to settle down. You can just tell he is ready to settle down with the first woman who looks at him nicely. Uh, You know, that's like big, big flashing warning lights, right? And, And Lister's like, yeah, you know, I was really stupid. I told her, you know, I didn't want to, I wanted to play the field. I wasn't ready. And we had a great love and I kind of threw it away. You know, mm. I, I can maybe relate to that a little more than I'd like to admit. <laughs> yeah. And I suppose it does say, it says to that list, doesn't it? That, that thing, that fear of commitment that, you know, is he more, you know, a bit more, a uh, bit more mouth and trousers when it comes to this idea of sort of settling down with the woman he says he loves. Cause you know, we've said about from better than life, like he didn't think about Christine Kachansky. So, is she just another uh, Lisa Yates, you know, a love of his life for a moment, but when it gets real, when he gets the opportunity to make it real, it's sort of a bit too, you know, a bit too real maybe. Yeah. Um, and I, it's interesting, you know, I mean, the, the gender issues, I mean, we'll, we'll, we'll get to that as we get closer to the finale of, of series yeah. two, but you know, I, I, these gender issues that we've already talked about of sort of like how they're both sort of sexist, at least in, in different mm. ways uh that is it's very objectifying of lister obviously mm-hmm. you know rimmer is is completely insane and, and if i had a a female friend i'd say stay the hell away right <laughs> i mean but but lister you know who seems cool uh he is objectifying chansky i mean not only does he not envision her in the previous episode but he she's just the girl who he has a fantasy about who he wants to take to Fiji to his ridiculous Mm. dream. At no point is there any consideration of what she would want. Maybe she has dreams too, right? Uh, Maybe she does not aspire to live on Fiji selling donuts, Uh, (laughs) you know, but he's never given her that chance and he's never talked to her. And when he did have a relationship, which, by all indications, was one of deep and profound love. He said, I mean, he broke up with her. It wasn't like they, mm. they loved each other, but they fought and, you know, he had to go away for some meaningful thing. No, he just told her, I'm done with you because eh, I want to play the field. You know, we're just settled down. 
and which I can understand somebody doing, but maybe not if they were so deeply in love. Yeah, and uh, so it, it just at this point I say that they start to become quite this actually, and the next one really becomes quite revealing about Lister's uh, view of Kachansky. Um, mm-hmm. And and I don't the, the funny thing is I, I I struggle with this iteration of Kachansky as well because of the way she acts, in especially in the next episode in Stasis League, um, you know it, it she does just become a bit of almost like a bit of arm candy, um, when you're forgetting actually that she's a navigation officer like she's incredibly intelligent she's supposed to be quite a high ranking sort of navigation officer in in, in the Space Corps and in, in the Jupiter Mining Corps. But she's not. She's she still is played like a bit of a sort of a bit of fluff, which mm-hmm. probably a bit of its time, but still is quite disappointing. Um, no, so I yeah, agree I with you. What, um, you know, she's just kind you, of. Go ahead. No, as I said, we'll move into Stasis League actually. Because, but what were you going to say about Kachansky? No, I think that she uh, she's just kind of like oh. What's relevant about her is just, and again, I'm talking about Stasis League, is, is just that Lister's won her, right? Mm. And she smiles at Lister and says, oh, come into the room. But, you know, I mean, she seems amorous toward Lister. I mean, she seems affectionate. But what's relevant there is only that Lister, future Lister, uh, has won her, right? Yes. Yeah, so, and that's so it. If, so she... I was yeah, going to say, she I mean, becomes a trophy. She's a trophy, isn't she, really? Yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, mo- moving to Stasis League, if if uh, episode three, Thanks for the Memory, is is sort of like gets at the pain underneath that central dynamic of Lister and Rimmer, which I think it does, you know, Stasis League kind of, you know, is another, um, is another episode that uses time travel, you know, like Future mm. Echoes, to have a bit of fun. But also to focus on Lister a little, yeah. Uh, yeah the idea being that uh, there's a there's a stasis leak on floor, um, I think it's on floor seventeen or whatever it is, and um, you know they go down. I like the fact there's an express lift that has to go down all the way, um, <laughs> and when they find they find they can go back to three weeks before the. Uh, the stasis leak is basically a door through time. I, there's two moments in this I'll get to in a moment that I absolutely fa- I find are fantastic and, and I really enjoy. But they go back to three weeks before the accident, so they can go back and they can save everyone. But they realise they can't bring them back through the stasis leak because for some reason there's a time thing. So if they bring some people back, it turns them into powder. So they sort of travel through three million years of time going forward, but it doesn't seem to affect the crew, uh, the boys that we're used to. The two things I sort of uh, I'll pick up a pick. I'm going to do a nitpick followed by something I really love. Okay. In the previous em- uh, episode, thanks for the memory. When they go down to the planet, because they're actually celebrating Li- uh, Rimmer's death day as well at the start of yeah. the episode. Um, he's in a hologram uh, 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 cage, so that you know there's a construction that he has to exist within a cage in order to be off the ship. So it's still being powered by Red Dwarf, but he has to be within this cage in order to be projected. In Stasis Leak, it's this is where it starts to you know that that sort of technology starts to get questioned because literally within an episode, he's now stepping through a Stasis Leak onto a previous iteration of um, Red Dwarf, mm-hmm. um, which may or may not have a hologram on it. Because in the first episode, you find out that there is someone who has died before the accident has become a, and has become a hologram, right? Uh, another member of the crew, but he's able to go back, and at no point does Holly go. 
Oh, I appear to be now supporting a hologram. <laughs> oh, you right, know, right, right. Well, yeah, Holly should notice so, that. Yeah, so there's no point as Holly, even in future Holly go, yeah, there was a moment actually when I was supporting a hologram before the accident. And so you don't sort of like, they've never really explained what is, because he's a hologram. So he's, he's, he's a projection of light. Where is that light coming <laughs> from? And right. this is the first episode where I'm like, yeah, I've never thought about that before, but now we can travel back and forth through time, and it doesn't appear to be... They they actually uh, address it in a later episode, in the later series. They introduce what they refer to as light B, which zips yeah. around inside him, projecting. Um, but, uh, yeah, it's the first time with them, like, they've gone, oh, yeah, we've sort of... The rules of this seem to, sort of seem to corner us a bit. He shouldn't be able to travel through that statuslessly, but they do. Um it's in, into a shower, by the way. Yes, yeah. It's quite amusing. Which, is, which, which I do like. But I also like when they go through it and Kat starts asking what it is and they start providing these sort of semi-scientific <laughs> things. It's, okay. it's a temporal rip between the past and the future. It's, it's like, what is it? It's a doorway between the past. A stasis lit to the, what is it? It's a magic door. Right. <laughs> and it's right. sort of like... Um, and so I like that they sort of they just write it off. It's that thing of like, don't it's, it's, we've said it before for some of the films. Don't worry about it. It doesn't make sense, but you don't need to worry about it. Carry on. Um, and I, I like the fact that the cat provides that for you. <laughs> yeah, I mean, and uh, obviously there are a lot of things on on all of these shows, but but certainly in Red Dwarf, where the pseudoscience explanation doesn't make any sense. I mean, and, mm. and this one is sort of particularly egregious. For red, by Red Dwarf standards. I mean, we'll see some later on, but I think up until now, you know, uh, things have had a better explanation than just stasis energy is leaking out. Yeah. Um, but what what I like about that is that they do offer the pseudoscience explanation, right? Multiple mm. times. So uh, there's this kind of clever way in which the show is winking at you, saying like, uh, you see this stuff over here? We can do that if you want, but you know, really, it's a magic door. We all know what this is, right? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, because that becomes a bit of a thing in the future, even for like the final episode of this series with the Holly Hop Drive. It's almost like, mm-hmm. don't worry about it. It's just, it's a, it's a box. <laughs> yeah. Um, um. But is it they go back to three weeks before the ship and they can't bring people back? So, but but can they alter the past? Um. And the the thing is, okay, it comes down to the selfishness of the characters again. Because at no point does anybody sort of like Lister could easily go up to the cat up to the captain as his previous, you know, as his <laughs> current self, and go, uh, I, "Sir, I've been doing some, you know, maintenance checks or whatever. I'm really concerned about the drive plate in in so and so and so and so. I think you need to get a senior technician to have a look at this. Sure. Boom, accident, accident averted. No." He's he's obsessed because he's found a photo of a form of in Kachansky's quarters of uh, a a version of him marrying Kachansky, uh, which raises yeah. some which which raises some questions for me about Lister. <laughs> yeah, quite because, good. Because again, um, so let me let me just listen. if you're watching this, I'm not spoiling everything. But so Lister finds a photo. In the in the in the quarters, okay, of of, of Kachansky having married this version of, of Rimmer, we sort of Lister. We find out in the at the end of the episode, it's a version of Lister from five years in the future. So there's another way of them coming back, which, which never comes up, but doesn't matter. 
but of right. him coming back and, and marrying Kachansky. And you go, oh, okay, that's fine. And actually, what what it is, Lister actually says to Kachansky at that point, because they go to a hotel and they find them in the, in the wedding suite. So it all works out well in the end. And she's like, yeah, it does. And I'm thinking, no, it bloody doesn't. Because after this moment, in three weeks, she becomes a pile of dust. Because you know that after this shore leave that uh-huh. they're on in this hotel, she gets back on the ship because you've seen her before the accident on the ship. And then she's dead. Did, did we see so, her pile of, of debris? Yeah, you, you, okay. you see in the first episode, she is in the drive room just before <laughs> Lister's is put into stasis. Right. So, you know, we know she was on the ship when the accident happened. She is dead. Yeah, that's a that very ship. good point. Yeah, so at I mean, no point did, did future Lister go, uh, don't get back on that ship. <laughs> right. Well, I mean, the weird thing is there's this kind of play with that determinism here, right? And how mm. time travel works. And I mean, of course, that's the model that I think is most interesting. But it's already been clearly established in, in series one, right? So we mm. know you can't alter time. You know, of course, the show will go on to change this, but for now, you can't. Yet, there is this discussion of, you know, um, well, putting somebody else in stasis, right? So, mm. I mean, I, I had forgotten that, I, I remembered that they found Rimmer's pile of debris, but I had forgotten yeah. that, that Kachansky's was there too. So clearly, you can't put either of them in stasis. No. And if you could, you could go down to that second stasis pod, which is never shown nor mentioned, um, and see, is there a body in there, right? Mm. Uh, yeah. there's, no, there's no thought of that. But, but you're quite right that, you know, she, I mean, okay, so somebody from the future, Lister from the future, came back and, and married Kachansky. But then you're caught in, you know, you get your three years, as he says, he kind of plays with the idea of going back and spending, uh, well, rather three weeks with her mm. and then dying with her. So is the Lister from the future, you know, in five years, I'll decide, hey, buddy, uh, it's time for me to die. You're quite right. It's, yeah. So I, I in my head, I've, I've, I've like this head cannon. So it, it, it creates a real, <laughs> it creates both a character problem. Because you say, you might be right. He may have snuck back on the ship, actually, and then died with her, which possibly, he's a, he is a bit of a hopeless romantic. It may have happened. But then the other thing is, he he then buggered off and left her to die, which is a real problem for me from a character standpoint. <laughs> so, well, he got the honeymoon, head... right? That's what he wants. That's true. <laughs> That's true. Yeah. Well, maybe you don't know that in that three weeks, let's say when the commitment happened, maybe it was another uh, Lisa Yates, and he was like, "Oh, actually, maybe that uh, maybe that radiation leak's going to do me a favor." Um, I don't know, but in my head, I ha- I've had to sort of like because the parallel universes come up in this at the end of this series, right? And it's only Holly that's saying it's a stasis leak that's taken them back in time. Ah, uh, right, right, right. And as you as you say, like you, because I like the fact you do, you get to see Peterson again, played by the wonderful Mark Williams, and you so you get to see all these previous characters, and you sort of like you know, list is like, oh man, I miss you, I ain't seen you in years, all sort of stuff. It's weird for them, but there's a part where the wonders like, well, all right. Actually, is it is it the past or is it an alternate, I don't know, an alternate timeline, an alternate, another parallel universe mm-hmm. where the accident may not have happened, or 
it's you know that the Kachansky doesn't get back on that ship and she actually does live with Lister in that timeline. You know, could that be the you have to sort of like you have to squint yeah. and turn your head to the left a little bit to see it, but it could no, be that that does make sense. I mean, I think that's I think that's very clever. Um, yeah, I mean, we are coming up with a sort of like fan canon in which mm. like Holly is the mastermind behind everything. You know? yeah. <laughs> like, uh, there's all this stuff going on. Like it's like those those characters in the background, you know, of Star Wars or something that are <laughs> yeah. you know secretly masterminding. Mm. Holly is behind everything. Um, but well, there was another we, problem with, you know, there's this line about, uh, I mean, you mentioned Lister's uh, sort of misogyny or, or how women are sort of disposable, literally, right? I mean, if you mm. assume she's going to die, Lister makes that joke about, you know, his maid who taught him to put mirrors on his shoes to look up girls' skirts. Yeah, yeah that joke has <laughs> yeah. not aged well. No, no. There's, <laughs> uh, yeah. there's um, this, and I'll say when we get to episode six, Parallel Universe. Yeah, some some of some of the attitudes uh, have not aged well in the slightest, um, which is interesting. Um, but yeah, Stasis Leak is an interesting episode in that it's it's never been a favourite of mine because I think it, it introduces it, it starts to introduce too many problems um, for me with with that continuity. And I know it's only a sitcom and everything else, but you've already had this determined, like you said, this deterministic future of how does Lister get to twin boys on on a ship without any women and so you know the idea in the they even reference that in this episode of oh maybe that's how i do it like i end up with kachansky and that's you mm-hmm. know there's, there's a there's a, a brief nod there and you go, oh, okay maybe this could be it you know no that's not it but it will it will come up again obviously right um but yeah, it, I don't know. There's some stasis leak. It, this series, it feels like that. You know, like I said, we've, we've had the issue with Crichton. That character's gone, bizarrely, uh, <laughs> and, and and now we like stasis leak. You've got some else. All these sort of they're throwing in things from a continuity point of view. I'm like, I'm I'm, I'm sort of like I'm enjoying the humor. I think the concepts are good. I'm enjoying the cast, but as an episode, like it sticks out a little bit for me as a problem. I think you're quite right, and I think you're identifying things that. Uh... I had not identified this clearly. Um, I, I, I do think that it's sort of an inferior version of future echoes, mm-hmm. um, you know, sort of doing some of the same things, but it's also piling on the problem of meeting up with the future timeline presented in future echoes. Well, now we've got even more to meet up with. And as you say, that's, it doesn't really make sense. It's not compatible even with the timeline that we know. Yeah, so that's why I sort of in my like you say in that fan head canon for me, I've had to introduce the idea of of not just time travel but parallel dimension jumping. So it's yeah, sort of, I mean, it work it it works in that sense. That makes a lot of sense. I mean, I I do want to I do want to say one thing that I liked and, and then another quibble. Um, you know, I that lift. You know, I like that it's commercialized, right? That it costs yeah. money. Based on the distance you travel in the ship, you know, and it's mm-hmm. express lifts. It's it's this kind of like privatization um, of, of even using the lifts in the in the ship. Mm. Uh, I think that's very clever. And and the fact that like the ship is so big, you you know, they say like, oh, this takes I forget how long it takes, you know, like, 
it, it takes quite some time to to travel through the ship. I mean, it ta- I think it takes days. Like they basically camp yeah. out in the lift. And I, I think, you know, this is what the Death Star would be like, right? Mm. Yeah. You're traveling. It's the yeah. size of a moon. You know, it, it's going to be days. Um, so I, I quite like the lift, both for the privatization and the sort of Death Star thing. Um, the other thing that I that is a, is a quibble, not as, as good of a quibble as yours, is about the hotel. That just as I didn't feel in the first episode and in the first season that it even though it's Jupiter mining, that it clearly, the, I mean, clearly the Red Dwarf was in the solar system and it's just mm-hmm. kept going for 3 million years. But I don't feel as if I ever feel that, you know, it's easy to not notice that. Suddenly they cut in this episode to a hotel. That hotel <laughs> is not on the ship. No, no, they say they're on shore leave, but they never, I can't really say they say where they are. There's the, yeah, this is this is three weeks before the the accident. They're supposed to be somewhere on shore leave, um, and so it, you know it's even. I I swear I've read somewhere that it suggested that this is the shore leave where um, Lister picks up the cat. So it may be Titan, uh-huh. but it's yeah, never yeah. fully explained. I I may have that because I've read a lot of supplementary material and stuff. Um, I think but, that, yeah, I think there is a kind of passing reference in the episode, but. It seems very unconvincing. You know, it's like, oh, yeah. by the way, we're right next to Titan. I mean, you see this, you know, there's an advertisement, I think, for, you know, this this hotel. But it's very unconvincing. I mean, it's like, where mm. is the Red Dwarf at this time? Does it matter? I mean, the show seems like oddly unconcerned with placing the ship in, in space. Yeah, because... Uh, because really, the other thing as well is, like you say, if Lister, you know, went back, all right, he can't live with Kajansky, but it's still three weeks before the disaster, so could he not hop on another ship and go home to Earth? <laughs> yeah. No, that's quite true. Right. Very good yeah. point. Also, if you wanted to be with Kajansky, you know, and she's doomed to die, take her take her back with you. You just have to send her back to become, you know, a second prior to her death to become that pile of ash. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's... um. It's you know the idea of the stasis leak is interesting, but yeah, I, I just find this episode is a bit, um, a bit of a miss for me. It's a rare, it's a rare miss in in Red Dwarf canon. Yeah, I mean, um, I think it's enjoyable. I mean, I do want to yeah. say that 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 motorized, uh, that motorized uh, piece of luggage in the hotel. <laughs> I, I love that. That's a reference, actually, to a short film. That's an early sci-fi short film from 1909 called The Electric Hotel, which I've seen, you know, when I was going through shorts, you know, to, to possibly cajole you into into seeing these. Uh, and I thought, oh, that's clever. You know, like I didn't realize that until this viewing. And I was like, OK, there's a there's a reference to old timey sci-fi. I, I also like what the luggage says. Well, he's like, have you seen this? Sh-? You know, this guy's like, no, oh, they've probably sent him to the wrong bloody hotel again. <laughs> so I, 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 I did, I did like that. I think it's quite a good uh, turnaround on that. Um, yeah. So to to move on then from Stasis Leak to to the next episode, um, which is really the first sort of like Holly centric episode. Like, mm. Holly's always been there as a character, uh, played by uh, uh, the great Norman Lovett. I think he's really he's really good. He's 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 really funny. Uh, we have Queeg, and um, basically, sort of like the, throughout the series, 
one and two, you have this idea that sort of uh, Holly's gone a bit peculiar. You know, he's been around on his own for three million years. He's probably a little bit sort of, uh, you know, his diodes are probably a little bit worn <laughs> out or whatever. Um, and so he's always been a bit bit daft. And so in this episode, there's a, there's an accident um, and Lister is injured. And so they all sort of turn on Holly. Um, but in doing so as well, it activates a backup computer. Um the sort of that every part that every ship is supposed to have the Queeg five thousand, um, and so they sort of they agree. Oh, again, actually, the first Rimmer's first response to this is aliens, uh, and gets all excited. Um, but Queeg takes over the ship, and is fine to be a, a much tougher taskmaster than Holly, um, and eventually it comes down to a battle of wits and chess between Queeg and Holly. Um, and the final sort of twist at the end is actually you find out that, that this, and this sort of feeds into our conspiracy theory of Holly's behind everything, is oh, that yeah. Queeg never actually existed um, and that he was actually just a joke that he played and the rest of the crew to teach him a lesson and it was actually Holly all the, all the time. Um, I I really like this episode. Um, oh, that's fascinating. This, I, mean, I think this is the weakest episode of the first two seasons. <laughs> <laughs> oh really? I don't, know, yeah. I don't know what it was. Um, or one of for them. some reason, th- this episode just makes me chuckle, and it's sort of like not so much like laugh out loud, but there's just so many sort of like little moments in this that just make me chuckle for some reason. Um, and uh, I think it's um, like just just Queeg. Uh, you know, <laughs> the things we learn in this episode is sort of like. Um, Again, it's an American actor, so they've gone for that thing of the dominant sort of like you know, almost like a drill sergeant uh, sort of um, you know kind of persona. Um, but we learn in this that, that that the ship's computer can can take control of of, of Rimmer's body um, and makes him run the compulsory sort of like five miles every day, <laughs> um, which is which is fantastic. But he passes out after five hundred yards and still is forced to run. The rest <laughs> unconscious. Yes. Um, <laughs> um, yeah. I, so I mean, have you ever understood why Rimmer exercises? No. No. Yeah, it doesn't make sense to me. And that's um, been in other episodes too. But well, yeah. You should also say Queek is played by a black man, and he calls mm. the crew suckers. Like it seems yeah. like it's a reference to Mister T. <laughs> yeah, it, it, it is. It does feel a bit Mister T ish. Um, it is. It, I just. I don't know. This is moments in this this episode that sort of make me laugh because, you know, it, it's um, it's. I like the fact that so again, like Holly gets demoted basically to night watchman, and he goes around on like a roving TV monitor with a flat cap and a scarf, um, you know, shining his torch down one corridor, then another, um, <laughs> and it's just little jokes like that. But I also like the fact that like it goes back to this sort of. Um, because it, it, it is a lesson for them to be learned, but it goes back to this notion of a sort of having to earn. It goes back to these rules that 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 um, Rimmer has been uh, ah. you know, almost encouraging and forcing for so long, and now they've become gospel. Now they are the law, and all of a sudden he's a bit like ah. And you do find in several occasions that there's this thing. So when Rimmer is made to do his exercises, he's like, well, no, Holly and I had an understanding, you know, where I'd tell him to set the alarm for six. He'd pretend to forget and wake me up around eight with breakfast, you know. Right. Um, and then the same with sort of Lister as well, sort of like, you know, they, they make them, and the cat, because the cat isn't actually a member of the crew, so it doesn't actually deserve, or doesn't 
need any or doesn't warrant any food. So they've got to do chores to to earn the food and all this other stuff. Um, and I just like and again, there's that thing of oh no no like you know Holly and I used to have an understanding, and it's that little thing of like um, don't don't take things for granted. Um, but I also like the bit where it's a, a list of you know after everything's done, he gets a piece of toast with a pea. And he's like, I've earned that pea. That's my pea, and I'm going to eat it. And it flips off this. It flips off his plate. It's, I'm going to find that pea, and I'm going to. I don't care if it's covered in fluff. I don't care if it's burned. You know, it's been. And remember, rem, it went into your uh, your dirty sock laundry. He's like, oh, I'm not that hungry. I'll leave it. <laughs> um, and there's just there's just lots of little jokes like that in this that I really enjoy. Um, I don't know. What, yeah, it's, it, to me, this is. I like this episode. Yeah, I think I think it's a good episode. I mean, I, I, I think that I mean to me it's still above average slightly. But mm. I mean I and I, I like, you know, you're one of the things that you say that I find most convincing is that uh that it's a Holly centric episode. And mm. I'm always fascinated by Holly and, you know, the computers and I and I kinda want more of that. So that sort of sells me. I, I guess I just find that it's I I, I really do not like the reveal at the end that you know holly has done all of this i i like that it's like to teach them a lesson right that mm. they clearly don't think well of holly right that they believe mm. holly would be flying around for in circles for 14 months <laughs> which i think is really funny um but holly is demented right mm. and you know, if Holly is demented, why is Holly? I mean, maybe this is just all a sign of Holly's dementia, but I don't know. I mean, it seems like it seems like it's a a relatively simple plot, you know, which I don't have a problem with. That is mostly about exploring it, but then at the end, it's like, oh ho, you know, like that that bad guy was actually He Man in disguise, you know, for yeah. this convoluted yeah. reason. <laughs> I, I, I kind of like it. It is. I kind of like it for that. I think because it is. <laughs> it, 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 it does show, like I say, a side of Holly where you've said like she, it, it is Holly demented, or you know, gone a bit sort of like computer scene or whatever. And I, I actually think this is an argument for yes, <laughs> it, he he is because like, he's trying to prove a point in possibly the meanest and you know drawn away. Like he could have easily done that by proving it, that he's not. You know that after this this act because the accidents happen like he forgot which way to plug something in didn't he so, so Lister gets sort of like electrocuted and, and, and blown up um like there were other ways because i mean granted like he's running an entire ship traveling through space so you sort of go okay i've got to accept that because they can't navigate it so we've got to accept him and but it does sort of feel to me like yeah it, it feels a little mean to do this and to put them through it just to prove a point um yes Absolutely, because it's it's not just um, it's not just uh, um, the physical or the sort of you know the the, the grime. Like, you know, you see that Cat uh, and Lister have to sort of clean floors and the humiliation of it and all this other stuff. It's at the end of it that like, the emotional resonance of like you know, they they realize what they've what they've lost and um, Holly is to be deleted and he's sort of you know he's singing that song as he's being deleted. Mm-hmm. And so there's an emotional moment for them. They're like, oh man, we are now stuck forever, for eternity, with Queeg. <laughs> and um, and you sort of, and then and then he sort of reveals himself, and you'd be like, I'd be furious. <laughs> yeah, yeah, quite, <laughs> absolutely, absolutely furious that he put me, th- that I've been put through that. Um, 
so I, I understand that um, you know why people could struggle with this episode, but I don't know. It, for some reason, that just makes me laugh. Like I just find it funny. Um, but it, it definitely feeds into this thing of like Holly's got a darker side that doesn't come up much. Oh, for sure. I I, I want an exploration of that. I mean, I mm. love everything that you're saying. And, and and again, it's a better. I mean, on most shows, I'd be very happy with this episode, but. Um, you know, I think that reveal at the end, you're quite right that they should be mad, right? I mean, if, mm-hmm. if you know, she took control of Rimmer, Rimmer should be furious. Um, yeah. You know, I mean, they watched their friend, semi-friend Holly die, right? I mean, yeah. they thought they were hopeless. You know, they're never going to be able to, like, put themselves in suspended animation or in stasis or, or any of these things that they do all the time, go on a fishing trip. I mean, none of those mm. things are going to happen with Queeg in charge. Um, but, you know, I would feel I would feel happier if instead, of, after that reveal, there were just a few lines of, like, oh, I hate you, Holly, you know? And <laughs> and a few lines that just kind of kind of made you more aware, like, oh, this is really demented. You know, Holly is really messed up. Yeah, no, I agree. Like, it, I, I think it, should, it, it, that reveal should have come, I'd say, five minutes earlier, mm-hmm. um, just for there to be a reaction. And you could have had that sort of reactive stinger at the end of it all, um, you know, in some way, like they're walking out on him or something. But yeah, it's, um, you know, you, you're clearly supposed to feel for Holly at the end of this. But uh, yeah, <laughs> I it, one of the things I do like, clear. I do like the scudders beating uh rimmer at checkers at the very beginning like i don't think we've established that rimmer is quite that dumb but the idea that rimmer is unable to beat the scudders who are you know pretty dumb as robots go um at checkers for god's sake and that he needs to cheat you know to wait them out until they have to go back to work um (laughs) you know and and then of course that kind of ties into the the chess game that queeg and and holly Mm simulate i i think that's quite nice yeah uh well uh, the other thing i like is i think it's in this episode it may have actually been in a preview it might even be in better than life uh when you get they get the mail pod mm-hmm. you've already been introduced to the fact that there are other um other versions of ships computers because he's playing long distance chess with a ship on a uh, the f the ss fitzgerald all um, right called got uh, a, a computer called gordon and um, he says, some, you know, he, he does a chess move. And then, like, oh, that's right. He's like, oh, what a devil. That's real. Yeah, what a move. And uh, they say, oh, who's winning? He's like, well, him. That's uh, That was the first move. Right. <laughs> and he's like, so they, they've established then that, that, and that, you know, that was established, in, I think, in Better Than Life. I'm pretty sure. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, when, so when Queeg is introduced, you've already had this concept of other... Um, you know, other ships' computers with slightly different personalities and faces. So they've already laid that down, which, you know, um, is quite interesting that they've laid that rule down because all the other rules they seem to be breaking. But, yeah, they've they've introduced that concept already. So you are willing to accept Queeg as, a, as another version of a ship's computer. Yeah, that's a very good point. I hadn't thought about how, you know, it's sort of a callback to Better Than Life, which even has chess in it. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, and the fact that, like, say, clearly Holly's not well. I don't know actually if he's good or not because he beats himself. Um, so yeah, so Queeg's an interesting one, but it, it feels like um, 
like you say, they, they, they play down. It's, it's quite a, a simple episode, as you say, uh, a mm-hmm. Holly centric episode. Um, just before you get the series two uh, end, and it feels like this, this feels a bit like a finale. Like they've they've gone a bit more out, you know, a bit more complex, really, for a finale. And you get parallel universe, um, which is a, which is a doozy. What are your so? Do you want to provide a, a bit of a rundown of this one? Okay. Well, I mean, essentially, first of all, let's just let's just say how awesome is it that the titles are interrupted by cats singing? Uh, you know, I, I love yes. when they interrupt titles, and you think, "What is going on?" <laughs> And it turns out it's a dream. You know, it's not really important to the episode, but uh, I, I do love that. But, but it's an entire dance number. Like it's, it's, yeah. it's, it's, it's Danny John Jules singing. It's backed up by uh, Craig Charles and Chris Barry in sparkly pink suits. It's amazing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I quite like that. Um, you know, so essentially Holly has invented this Holly hop drive, you know, which teleports through space. And, you know, obviously Holly's demented, right? So who knows? Uh, you know, so it turns out that it actually has teleported them to a parallel universe where they run into a copy of the Red Dwarf. And, you know, once they get on the Red Dwarf, they find that it, it, it seems as if, I mean, everybody is female who's male. Um, mm. Now, of course, the, the crew is only male, so we don't have a counterexample. Although we're told that it's actually not that it's a gender inverted universe. It's that everything is opposite, which, you know, could be better, but therefore the cat is actually a dog. Um, yeah. You know, so that's, you know, a little, little joke, but you know, really the plot revolves around playing off these gender differences and sort of exploring the, the female crew sexism as a sort of mirror for the main crew uh, in a sort of like gendered mirror universe. Um, and at the end, uh, you know, um, Lister has had sex with his female counterpart, which I think is quite amusing. And <clears throat> uh, we're told uh, Lister might be pregnant because in this universe, males get pregnant and you're in this universe. So, I mean, that's a little less convincing that your biology would change because you're in an alternate yeah. universe, but whatever. Um you know, and they go back to their universe, take a pregnancy test, and lo and behold, Lister's pregnant. Aha! Series finale. <laughs> um, you know, big cliffhanger. Um, what are my thoughts about it? I think this is actually a really good episode. I really mm. like this episode, and I like its depiction of sexism. I mean, I think it's the I I, I sort of got the sense from a comment earlier that you're a little bothered by it. But I think it's. I think it seems, to me anyway, like it could be made today. Oh no! It, it, um, what I find is, uh, I think. I think the commentary on sexism is is spot on. I, I actually think it's really good. It's more a case of the fact that they they have to bend the characters a little bit to make them this way. So it's been, a, for example, for Rimmer. Rimmer's been established that he can't talk you know he has struggles to talk to women mm-hmm. yeah and so we, and we know that his only only sort of pre- previous sexual encounter has been with the von magruder so you've got this and that was because it was a drunken thing that took you know 12 minutes and that includes the time to eat the pizza and so you you've got this notion that he's not actually very good with women he, he he's not you know um mm-hmm. 
he's, he's even been part of this sort of like celibacy thing to sort of, so he can actually say, no, I'm focusing on my, um, <laughs> I'm, fo- I'm focusing on my career rather than love and all this other stuff. However, for this episode, they, they, in, they then introduced the idea that he's been using hypnosis to try and get girls. Um, which is funny because he tries to hit them, hit them with the hypno stare, and he he, he just he, he then has a pickup line about the worm do, um, and that whole interaction with Lister is is really good, but it just feels like they've had to bend the character of of Rimmer somewhat to try and hit this home, mm-hmm. um, yeah, and and that sort of like that it, it feels a little awkward at times, because then when you do meet the female counterpart to to uh, Rimmer. She just feels a lot more confident than him. True. I mean, I thought um, about that, you know, watching it. Uh, I, I mean, I guess I don't care because I, I, I really enjoy yeah. what they're doing. But you're quite right that, I, you know, Rimmer seems to me more consistent with his his old self. I mean, yeah, you find mm-hmm. out this hypnosis thing. Um, but that also seems like, I mean, literally incels now are talking about, you know, plans to hypnotize women, right? I mean, that's kind mm-hmm. of a cliche now of you know this sort of like you know celibate community and he seems to have so many of those attributes that you know i i mean i don't buy that he's you know willingly celibate in any of this um but i mean yeah I, i i see what you're saying it's really the female version that clearly is just not a female version it's somebody who is a lot more aggressive than Rimmer ever. But then again, it's fun for me to watch the the male Rimmer just kind of wilt <laughs> under the yeah, pressure yeah. of his female self. <laughs> yeah. Um, but they do get certain moments right. I mean, the thing is, I think that the the, the male and female, uh, you know, counterparts to Lister are, are, are much better. Um, yeah. Uh, uh, both, I think, through through casting and through sort of um, how they manage to sort of mimic each other is brilliant. Um, but there's some great commentary about this, about what the expectations for men and women. Um, uh, and I say, because the moment, there's a moment when Lister sort of says about um, they're hanging out and he's like, yeah, all she wants to do is drink beer and sort of like, you know, doss around. Yeah. <laughs> I don't sort of find that attractive. And, um, and, <laughs> and then sort well, of like, but... The, Listener, that's literally you. It's literally yeah, exactly yeah, what yeah. you do. Yeah, and then she sort of so he says like, her party piece is to burp the is it to burp Yankee Doodle Dandy, and and that's when Rimmer says like, isn't that your party piece? He says, yeah, but when I do it, it's class. <laughs> and, and, and it's it's it is funny, it's hilarious because then he sort of tries to do it, but it's this notion that say what what is acceptable for men is not acceptable for women, and and what is attractive in men or what is deemed. What men think is attractive in themselves is obviously not attractive in a woman and sort of stuff. So it does start to play with that, and I do like that um, because I also like the interaction between the male and female versions of Rimmer when they're sat there and mm-hmm. sort of saying, uh, they, "Well, they seem to be getting up wonderful." Like, yes, but well, we've got a wonderful conversation going on here. Yes, yes, oh yes, yes, and it's sort of like you know that stilted uh, interaction between them um, is 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 well done. So there's moments like that that I think are really good. Uh, well, I, uh, I think that stilted interaction, I mean, that's, I mean, that's more the female rumor really being a mirror for Rimmer, um, mm. you know, but, you know, I, I like the sort of like aggressive rumor and, and the sort yeah. of play, as you said, uh, with Lister of sort of gender stereotypes and, and what men find acceptable. <laughs> um, 
you know, to, to begin with, uh, right away, Rimmer sees porn <laughs> and yeah. says, you know, yeah. what is this? And the female Rimmer says, you know, oh, that's porn. You know, you're not you're not uh, snooty or whatever. And Rimmer <laughs> says, you know, those are not realistic bodies, you know, yeah. uh, and the female Rimmer, you know sexually harasses the male rimmer and says, you know, you're not one of those boring masculinists, are you? Um, <laughs> you know, you know, this idea that of, of course we're still talking about female body typing, but the fact that that mm. was such an issue in here, um, you know, the, the female rimmer says, you know, that our rimmer has a uh, tight pants, that that's a sign, you know, um, <laughs> you know, he's wearing, um, he's wearing sock suspenders. Um, Right, yeah, and then when when uh, when she when he refuses, she says, you know, he's frigid. You know, like yeah, yeah. you're either uh, a slut or you're frigid. Right, uh, this just totally being applied to these men. Maybe the best is uh, her saying that. Oh, 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 I guess it's R. Rimmer who mentions this. That you know, she's tried to show him pornography of two men being together because she yes. thinks that <laughs> we like it. This It'll will turn him, him on. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it, it is. It is. It's brilliant. I, I do think it's. Um, it's a, this is again where sort of like the writing for this show really comes out on top um, because there are moments that are excellent. And if anything, I think the weak the weakest part of this episode is like you say the the side joke of the cat's counterpart being a dog, um, yeah. because it becomes incredibly throwaway and doesn't really doesn't really do a great deal. Uh, and I, I kind of think that's a shame because I, I I think. It yeah. would have been interesting to then do like a female version of the cat that, you know, although they were sort of, they could be interested in each other, but still so self-obsessed that they couldn't make it work. I don't know. It just felt like a missed opportunity um, to, yeah, to use uh, Danny John Jules. I think that's a lot better than what we get. And, and especially to me, what I object to is that the main joke about the dog is that, you know, like he can't dance and he has fleas and smells, you know, which is like, yeah, that's still not going to be desirable to these characters. Right. I mean, the female lister might be okay with it, but you know, I mean, I, and I guess Rimmer can't smell. Right. But I mean, Mm. so maybe they're fine with it, but I don't know. I mean, it it seems like they're not doing a lot with the dog except, you know, uh, it's a, it's a bit of a one note. Yeah, that's yeah. it. It's like a bit of a one-note joke, and then it sort of um, it doesn't go anywhere. And I, I do think it's the weakest part of the show. Um, but yeah, it does. It's sort of, like I said the, the other action, the other interactions are quite good, and obviously it pans off to the next morning, and you do find that Lister has slept with his female counterpart. Um, and I, but then I do like like again this sort of like the shaming the next morning, sort of like you know almost like that walk of shame. Shaming, <laughs> um, you know, the female Rimmer refers. He says, "Oh, you slut," and you realise that he's actually not talking to the female. She's not talking to yeah. the female Lister. She's talking to the male Lister, like Al, you know, Dave Lister. Um, and it's interesting that that sort of like you know. Then they talk about the contraception, and it's the men's responsibility because the men get pregnant. And uh-huh. uh, it's th- this is a really interesting conversation. Um, Absolutely. Again, again about that sort of like you know the expectations of sort of like you know the morning after, right? You know that sort of thing of like, well, I'm done. Sort of you know go sort yourself out or whatever is is really, um, again like you know they probably you say like this could play today, it, it could and should play today, but I wonder sort of like you know I'm, I'm surprised they got away with this in 1988 on the BBC. 
Yeah, that's a good point. Um, it is really aggressive. I mean, and, and I think that it part of the genius of it is that it takes all of these situations that if they were gender reversed to the traditional stereotype, you know, we might groan a little, but we would think like, okay, that's just a sort of stereotypical sort of aggressive guy. I mean, we've seen this stuff a million times. I mean, a, a few episodes ago, we just had, you know, Lister saying that it's funny to put mirrors on his shoes. Okay. Mm. Uh, and, and now what's most amazing is that all of these statements, all of these situations are just sort of word for word. They really mm. are just reversing it. And I think sometimes in social commentary, that's the most effective form. Like when you see, you know, the words that are applied to, say, black people applied to whites as a stereotype. And you think, oh, that's not right. Well, wait a minute. Why is it right the other yeah. way? Well, that's, that's the interesting thing about this episode. That, like, you know, there are other writers, modern writers, I think, as well. There'd be a fear of, of making the female characters look bad. Do you know what I mean? It's that thing of like, okay, well, we're going to reverse it, but we're going to show them as being sort of like powerful and in control. And actually, they've got the ship in order. That would be the version they'd have now. Yeah, you're quite right. That actually, it would show the female of the universe as being opposite in the sense that actually it's all working really, really well. And because, that, you know, that's the sort of thing. Because um, don't forget, Holly has a female counterpart as well in Hilly. Um, <laughs> And so there's there's all this other stuff going in there because their very first interaction actually is a real sort of like show of, of, of you know sexism is the interaction between uh, Holly and Hilly is you know um, they just sort of say hello to each other and then she sort of disappears he's like I'm in there um, <laughs> and it's that, just that expectation of like yeah I can, you know I'm, that's an easy one for me um, like that that would be but to show it sort of like no no society is broken. Even in their world, you know, the society is still, you know, um, we, we are recognizing that the, there's a broken sexism in this world. Um, and if you flip it on its head, it's still broken. It just goes the other way. You know, we're not fixing it. We're just showing that it's, it's actually still broken. And I think that sort of is, like you say, it's quite brave to do, actually. Yeah, I think so, too. And I think you're dead right that this wouldn't be done today. And if it were, it would be done exactly the way you described that the fear would be so intense of, you know, sort of, I, I guess the fear would be if we presented it this way, people would say, oh, well, you see, when women are in charge, they're just as cruel. They're just as mm. sexist, you know, so, uh, you know, it's OK then. Uh, in, in some kind of weird way. Um, and so we kind of retreat to these sort of Mary Sue positive portrayals. And there's nothing wrong with those. Um, you know, I don't think every female character has to be broken, uh, as charming as Fleabag is. Um, <clears throat> but, you know, uh, I think you're, you're dead right. You can see in this universe that, that while it's a reversal, the fact that men get pregnant does change things because mm. if you think that essentially the, the stereotype is that the male is more aggressive, the female gets pregnant. So she, you know, she's more motherly. It makes sense for her to stay at home and, you know, take care of the kids and clean or whatever. Uh, you know, that's the stereotypical explanation. And that same explanation could be offered in this universe. Um, mm. 
I think the only difference is because the genders are changed, it strikes you in a way that it doesn't otherwise. And I, I still think it's quite brilliant. Yeah, I know. I, I, I agree. Because um, it makes me wonder, like, this is obviously the end of season two. And, um, you know, I, I don't know the full behind the scenes. Um, but it's this is obviously them addressing uh, the futures predicted in, in, in future Echoes. Uh, you know, the, 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 the list with the two boys. Because um, you do, you get back. Uh, so they, they travel back to their own dimension and you find that they, they, Lister has to take a pregnancy test. Um, which is, this is one of those things that like he got pregnant in their universe. So his biology changed. So would it not change back? Right. Traveling back, but you know, minor quibble, but he has to take a pregnancy test. And I do like, um, uh, Rimmer being his supportive self when he's saying like, <laughs> they, they were, they were strapping lads. They were big, big heads, big heads. <laughs> um, um, and, and you do find out that he is pregnant. And it leaves it on that, and, and and actually, this this is where Lister uh, Rimmer um, does highlight that thing from Future Echoes. He says, "Do you remember we had those Future Echoes?" And you said how interesting it would be to find out how you got two boys without a woman on this ship. How right you were, Lister. How right you were. <laughs> and and that is hilarious. I, and I do love, I do like that scene. But that's there. That's the end of season two. Like that, that's where it ends. They find out he is pregnant. And that's the end of the of series two, and I'm like, wow, that's a you know, having I have the hinds I have the hindsight of the whole shebang, right? But um, yeah, like you, if, as a TV show goes, that's a bit of a a bit of a cliffhanger to end on because how are you going to resolve that one? Yeah, well, the answer is you're not, but uh, <laughs> yeah. I, I quite agree with you, and and I think that like. Future Echoes, we talked about how ambitious that is, right? And and mm. how how brave the show is capable of being. That's a brave cliffhanger. And mm. you know, I mean, um, there's a there's a the, the first episode of the next season should address that. Um, and there was a script that was supposed to, but mm. uh, yeah, we got something very different. Well, it's the thing because I think as well, this is where. At this point, they were doing these things because, I say, it was going under the radar. It was it was gaining popularity, but the BBC didn't realise how popular it was becoming. Um, and so that they the writers were were never entirely sure if they weren't just going to get cancelled. You know, there was mm-hmm. always this notion of like, well, let's go balls out because <laughs> we may not get a chance to do this again. <laughs> so let's go crazy. Um, and that's what they did, uh, and like I say, and and between season series two and series three, um, there was an identif- We'll get into it, but there was an identification of how popular the show was, um, and it had quite a dramatic effect on on what comes next. And the production values. I mean, it does feel like a yeah. different show when we continue. Yes. And uh, we will get to that, I think, in the next episode. I think we know this has been a doozy. I think we've really delved into uh, into Red Dwarf, uh, and I'm loving it. Um, uh, but uh, I, I don't want to go for a day long podcast for our poor listeners. Um, <laughs> well, if they listen to it all at once, it, it, it's going to add up to something substantial in the end. But uh, it will, yeah, quite. Yes, this may be like the, the, the. I would say this will be the definitive journey through Red Dwarf. I'm brave enough to say that. Uh, at least, at least at this cliffhanger moment, 
I might change my mind in the next episode. Um, uh, it's certainly yeah, a lot of fun. It is. It's been fantastic. Uh, and I'm loving going back and, and watching this series in a level of detail that I don't think I've ever done before, really, which is um, giving it a new, uh, a new, I'm giving it a new appreciation. Um, I will yeah. say in, in, in the future episodes, we will also cover uh, the, the 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 smegazine the magazine that sort of came out the novels and the american versions as well and how they sort of fit into the whole thing yeah sounds good Sorry. thanks for pointing out those those problems with stasis leak uh that hadn't occurred to me i mean that was especially like oh yeah 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 that makes sense yeah. that that's really was rather stupid and i didn't notice yeah <laughs> It makes me wonder, like, should you really be applying this level of, of uh, you know, uh, insight or, in, in, you know, in an- analytics to a, a sitcom? Does it stand up? <laughs> that's that's where this, you know, that's what we do. Uh, but yeah, it's been great. And I'm really looking yeah. forward to getting to the rest because uh, uh, episodes sort of three, four and five are my favourite series uh, of this show. And there are episodes in there that I am, uh, I am such a big fan of. Um, interesting interesting i think i think i like seasons one and two better than uh the next few but we'll we'll fight about it excellent i look forward to it Uh, me too (laughs) okay okay well ladies and gentlemen thank you for listening to our podcast this bonus podcast as i said there'll be more bonus uh content coming soon week on week uh as we we march back up to season two uh, but in the meantime, if you want to get in contact with us, if you want to talk Red Dwarf, if you want to talk about any of the films we've talked about in either our uh, full season one or bonus episodes, you can find us on Twitter uh, at Pod Time Space um, and reach out to us. Say hello. Talk, come talk to us. We're not that scary, really. Uh, uh, but yeah, we, we are there. And uh, Julian, anything else you want to say for the listeners before we sort of sign out? Go watch Red Dwarf. Join us on this journey through um, what were, to me, alien broadcasts from a parallel (laughs) universe. Clearly, clearly not from any space I knew. Yeah, that's true. If you're you're, one of our younger listeners, if there are some younger listeners out there, sort of go back to the 80s and find out what you're missing. It it is really fantastic. Uh, But in the meantime, thank you very much, guys. And we'll talk again soon.